want to thank you so much to everybody who's been giving us feedback over the course of the last five weeks that we've been doing this Wrestling With series. Um, it's been so great to hear your stories, to hear how this is being helpful uh, for you in your lives. And uh, I hope this last part of the series will be just as, as helpful uh, today. We've been talking about how we can wrestle with things, uh, either with uh, God or with one another, in ways that draw us closer together rather than split us apart. And this last part of the series, if I'm honest, is a little bit of an outlier, to be honest, through the, for, for the rest, uh, uh, based on the rest of this series. But it's something I really, really wanted to talk about because I think it's so important. But let's just, before I, I explain a little bit more about that, let's get back to camping. Uh, because we've been talking about camping already this morning, and uh, we used to, as a family, love our camping holidays. Uh, there are other members of my family who would still love to go on camping holidays today. I've got to be honest with you, I've reached a certain age where I like a bed. Uh, I don't know whether any of you can equate to that, but we loved our camping holidays, and we had many of them when our kids were little. Granted, we had a trailer tent, which did make the whole experience a little bit more comfortable, and some would say wasn't proper camping, but we had loads of really great holidays in that trailer tent, when, particularly when our kids were growing up. We had some really wet holidays, too. We had one uh, holiday where we went away for a bank holiday weekend with another family, and it rained for three of the four days we were away. And I kid you not, by the end of that bank holiday weekend, uh, we were walking around the ground floor of our tent, not the trailer bit, but the other bit of our tent, in Wellington boots with the water up at least over halfway over the top of our wellies. And I still remember sitting around, both families, sitting around in our tent, having a meal with our legs up to the, almost the top of our wellies as we were sitting around there uh, eating our meal together. What's really interesting is we went away with that family, great friends of ours, for many years like that. It's the only one of those trips we still talk about. It's the one we remember more than any other. That's true, isn't it, of wet camping holidays. They're the ones you talk about. Well, we're talking today about how we wrestle with what happens to us uh, when our earthly lives have passed away. And I think camping, as we've already begun to explain, has a huge amount to do with all of that. I think camping has a huge amount to do with what happens next. You know, we see all around us people wrestling all the time with this idea of an afterlife. Lots of people believe lots of things about it. And actually, that's true not just of Christians or, or people of a religious faith, but actually true of anybody and everybody. Loads of people who would say they're not people of faith, who they're not Christians. We see them wrestling with this idea of an afterlife. I've done quite a lot of funerals in my time as a church leader. And I've often heard people, people who have no faith at all, saying things like this. I can't wait till we'll see them again. Or they're looking down on us today and smiling Oftentimes, people who have rejected this very notion of God suddenly start saying those kinds of things when faced with the reality of death. And is it going to really be like that? Is it going to be a case of floating around on some heavenly cloud somewhere, listening to harp music, watching down on everybody else who's still alive on earth? And the reality is, all of us wrestle with what comes next. Oftentimes, we don't want to talk about it very much. But all of us wrestle with this idea of what comes next when we're faced with the reality 
of maybe our own friends or family passing away, or when we're faced with the reality of our own mortality. And that's why I really wanted to include it in this series, because I think it's something all of us are wrestling with, whether we're Christians or not. Uh, But it is one of the central tenets of Christianity that there is a life beyond this one. It's one of the things, actually, that the Christian faith has a huge amount to say about. And it's a hope that the Christian faith has to offer the world a promise of a life beyond this one. So if you're not a Jesus follower, if you're exploring faith, exploring God, then this is really important stuff because this is central to who Christians are and to what they believe. And if you are a Jesus follower, then I'm really praying this morning that you will have your hope built, your faith encouraged, and your expectations broadened. I'm also hoping that we will all be challenged to live now in the light of what God promises is to come. Now central, and this is why we've been talking about this already this morning, central to this Christian view of what happens next is this idea of camping out or dwelling. And actually, as I've already said, dwelling or camping out is central to the whole Christian story. As we explained already, when God wanted to set out his rescue plan for humanity, He started with a group of people, and right at the center of that group of people was a tent. It's called the tabernacle, and it could be taken and moved around while they were a nomadic people. And God said, this is where I am going to be dwelling with you. This is where I'm going to camp out with you. This is where you can come and experience my presence. And then when they settled in the land that God had given to them, they changed from a tent to a building to a temple. And now this was where God was dwelling and camping out with them, where they could experience the presence of God. And then God sent his son Jesus, and Jesus came and camped out with us. He brought God's presence to earth. One of Jesus' first followers and an eyewitness to his life, John, in writing his book, his account of the life of Jesus, says this, God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. When Jesus came, God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally, God came and camped out with us. Then Jesus went back to be with his Father in heaven. But that isn't the end of the camping. That isn't the end of the camping thing. We can't or we shouldn't discuss, certainly in a Christian context, what happens next beyond this life without coming back over and over again to this theme of dwelling or camping out. Because right at the heart of God's promises and descriptions of what happens next, what happens to us when we die, is this idea of camping out, of dwelling with God. The challenge for us, though, in in trying to unpack all these promises of God about what happens next, is that often they come in the form of of a style of writing that's in the Bible that we call prophecy. And prophecy is often filled with imagery and pictures, which can be difficult to interpret. And so it requires some wrestling. And it has sometimes, if we're honest, been the source of conflict in Christian circles. But one example of that sort of prophetic writing is in the book of Revelation. 
And Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and it's written by that same author we've already talked about this morning, John. And it was written towards the end of his life, and it's a, it's a written version of a series of, of pictures or visions or images that God was giving to him. And we're going to look this morning at a few verses from, John, uh, from Revelation chapter 21, where John is given this vision by God of what the future looks like of what a life beyond this one looks like. And let's read together. This is Revelation chapter 21, and I'm reading from verse 1. John says this. He's, he's kind of telling us about this vision that he's seen. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So John has this vision of a new heaven and a new earth. The first earth, which is what we're experiencing now, the first life, which is what we're experiencing now, has passed away, John says, and a new thing has come. This is a promise of a time when God will restore his creation, where he will do something new, where the fallen creation that we're experiencing here and now with all of its evil and suffering and pain will pass away and something new will happen. And this phrase is interesting, that there is no longer any sea. That kind of feels a bit spurious, doesn't it? But what, you, what we need to understand is that the sea was often a picture in the story of God, particularly in the Old Testament, among the people of God whose story we read there. This imagery of sea often had to do with conflict or evil or people coming against you. The raging seas were a picture of suffering and pain and evil. So when John says, I see this vision and there is no longer any sea, see, his first readers would have known exactly what he was talking about. And he was talking about no pain, no suffering, no evil, no raging group coming against anybody. John is saying, this vision I've seen of this new thing has a promise at the heart of it that there will be no suffering or no pain or no evil or no conflict. But then Joan goes on to explain his vision. He says, look, I saw too, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now this idea, again, this needs some explaining. This is one of these kind of vision things that needs a bit of explaining. This idea of a restored Jerusalem was commonplace in Jewish thinking. Jerusalem was the center of the Jewish faith in these days. It was a place of pilgrimage. It was a place where people went to meet with God. It was the place where God's presence was manifested. And John is seeing in his vision of God's presence, he's seeing this idea of this coming fully and completely to the new creation. And note from the imagery that we're told that there's this picture of Jerusalem descending from heaven as this full expression of God's presence. But the fact that it's descending from heaven shows it's not from any human abilities. It's not that human beings are building anything. It's all from God. And look here again, we got this dwelling stuff repeated again. God is coming again to dwell with humans, to be the new permanent guest. What God did in Jesus, coming to an unknowing world and to an unwelcoming people, 
God is now doing on a cosmic scale. He's coming to live forever in our midst, a healing, restoring presence. This theme of dwelling is revealed to us as a key topic in the future of the world, in the future of what God is going to do, and in the future of what happens to us in the life beyond this one. And then the vision goes on in verse 4 to remind us again that there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is just this great recovery. He says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. We get this image of this great healing, this great restoration, this great recovery. And then finally in verse 5, he who was seated on the throne, that is God, says, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Write this down, John, because everybody's going to need to know this stuff in the future. God is going to make everything new. Right at the heart of this new and restored creation will be God's presence and will be God's son who came and camped out with us once 2,000 years ago and will come and camp out with us once again. So John is painting for us, as God speaks to him, this great vision of what comes next. And it's heaven coming to earth. It's all of creation being restored. It's all of us in our life beyond this one and all of those who have gone before us who have had faith in Jesus being restored together again. And at the heart and the center of it will be God the Father and Jesus, his son. All of which begs the question... When is all this going to happen? When is all this going to happen? And I think the honest answer has to be, we don't really know. You know, many people like to speculate and try to interpret all the biblical prophecy and to try to draw conclusions and put dates on it and all of that kind of stuff. Exactly when and how it's going to happen. And it all gets very involved and it all gets very complicated. And this is where we all start wrestling with different views and ideas and opinions. While I was at college studying to be a church leader, we did a whole degree module on all of this, on what happens next, on when is Jesus coming again, and all of that kind of stuff. We looked at all the different views and all the different interpretations, and you know the conclusion that we came to? No one really knows. And when things get complicated like that, I may just be a simple person, but I have a really simple rule. And it's this, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? Because if somebody can be raised from the dead, if somebody is God's son, then I'm pretty sure we just need to listen to what he has to say when things are complicated or difficult. What did Jesus say? Let's take our marching orders from him. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew's account of Jesus's life. But, and he's talking about, again, when is all this going to happen? When is Jesus coming again? But about that day or hour, no one knows. And when I realized that, that made me feel much better about that module at college that I didn't really come to any conclusions in. No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only he knows. This is God's business and God's problem. But look what Jesus also said just a couple of verses later. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Keep watch. Be ready. Be prepared. 
because it could be any time. Now, of course, we wrestle together with the prospect of what comes next. It's only natural. Of course, we wrestle with this in our own lives. Of course, we wrestle with this when we lose friends or loved ones or we're faced with the prospect of our own mortality. Of course, we do. It's difficult and complex and it's painful to think about all the people that we'll miss or all the people that we are missing. Of course, we wrestle with this. But the prospect of an eternal life spent with God in this restored, renewed creation is a fabulous one that should delight us and help us overcome our fear of death. We should actually take joy and courage from the prospect of Jesus coming back again to dwell with us and all of creation being restored. But we should also allow that to inspire us to the work that God calls us to in the meantime. Jesus said, keep watch, be ready. I think that means more than sitting in our own church holy huddles, just kind of closed up together, waiting for the day. I think it means more than that. I think it means keep watch, be ready, take action, share all of this amazing good news with all the people who don't know it yet. So they get to be a part of this too. There is a choice to be made in the here and now. A choice that ensures that we get to be with God in whatever happens next. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, there is also a mandate, I think, in what Jesus says. To share this message with others so they get to experience this joy of what is to come too. Rather than speculate about exactly when and where, let's put our energy into sharing this amazing and wonderful message with others. Let's be ready. Let's keep watch. Because the prospect of a life beyond this one, in a, in a restored and renewed creation, with God the Father and Jesus the Son at the heart and center of it, is a joyous prospect and a joyous vision. And that place where there is no more suffering no pain, no tears, is a hope-filled vision of a future that all of us should crave. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great and glorious vision that you've just given us a glimpse of this morning, of what awaits us in a life beyond this one. And we do confess we don't understand it all, we don't necessarily get how it's all exactly going to work, but we cling on to those amazing promises that you make, that there is coming a time where heaven and earth will be restored and renewed and, and will be together, and you'll be at the heart and the center of it. Lord God, help us to live our lives in the light of that promise. And when we are grieving and mourning and crying for the, those that we've lost, understandably and rightly, help us too to have a hope that they too will be restored in this new creation that you're bringing. And when we're thinking about our own mortality and we're struggling with that, Lord, remind us of these great promises of what is to come. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to be ready, to be on watch 
to look out for what you're doing, to be ready to share this amazing news with others. And Lord God, help us to make that choice to follow you now with that prospect of what is to come. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.